as we engage in God's Word. We're going to do that in a couple of different ways. We're going to do that dramatically as we see the text from Mark 2, verses 1 through 12, acted out before us. And then after that, we will unpack these verses together to see God's goodness, His compassion, His glory in the midst of Mark's gospel. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to give to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I hear you, I hear you. Oh. Yes, a moment, please. Ah, it's hard to sleep with all these visitors. I've gone from being neglected and avoided, suddenly I'm some celebrity or something. Ah, yes, you are welcome. Come in. Who is it? Simeon? Simeon? Simeon, is that you? My boyhood friend? Ha <laughs> ha, you are welcome. You are welcome. Now, get ready. You are going to be amazed, my friend. Well, watch. Ha! <laughs> yes! I have been made new by the Rabbi Jesus. Yes, what you heard is true. <laughs> Perhaps you should sit, my friend. <laughs> yes. Ah, come, come, tell me. What brings you from Jerusalem? My healing has traveled that far? Well, that's a surprise, 70 miles. It's a surprise to me, too. It's only 10 days ago. Yes. It, well, sit and let's, let's talk. As you know, for more than 10 years, my body was frozen. 
Um, my hope was frozen. I, I, I could not feed myself. I could not drink by myself. I could not wash my own body. Ten years, my spirit grew as cold as my heart. Bitterness filled me. You know I've not always been that way. I was a bright-spirited young man, you know. Good friends, family, even, even a good business. Until the accident. Yes. Yes, it was a fishing accident. I, I was on the boat and our nets had caught on the rocks. And I said to Nathan, I'll dive in and I'll free them. And Nathan said, be careful, this is shallow. And I, I was brash. I dove in. I don't remember anything after that, except I'm told that if they had not pulled me from the waters, I would have died right there. But that led me into a casket of living. My bitterness... At first I blamed others. Then I blamed God. And then a, a creeping shame over the brokenness of my body and shame for the meanness that I was giving to everyone, even those that cared for me. Shame. Until ten days ago. <laughs> ten days ago. Ten days ago, Simeon. It was a morning just like this one. And, and I was laying upon my bed just as when you came. And I heard a pounding on the door. And then the door flew open. And I said, who is it? Get out of here. And they came forward. I saw that it was Nathan. And, and I said, what are you doing here? Get out of here. Leave me alone. And he said to me, he said, we are taking you to see the rabbi Jesus. He cures people of illness. He casts out demons. We think he may be from God. We are taking you to him. I said, you are not taking me to him. I am going nowhere. No physician has helped me. No rabbi's prayers have helped me. Be gone. He looked at me. He said, you are going. Well, they gathered around my bed. They lifted up the four edges of my pallets and they began to carry me my body bound in that small pallet. And they took me outside and said, No! Leave me here! No! No! And I began to curse. And I began to swear at them. Well, John, one of them, he, he looks me in the eyes. He says, If you don't quit cursing, I shall gag you. And he grabbed a cloth into his hand from, from his tunic. I'll gag you. I said, You will not gag me. And I will curse you. And I did. And I spit on him. And he gagged me. <laughs> Up the street we began to go. The sun in my eyes. I couldn't see people clearly, but there were clearly crowds that were all around. I was certainly not alone. And the brokenness of my body and the world that I had pushed out made my shame feel even worse. And we kept moving up the road and then we stopped. It was by Peter's house. And the crowds were pushing clear outside the doors. 
Nathan went up to one of them and he said, please, let us through. Our friend needs to see the rabbi. Please, let us through. They would not let us through. In fact, a man said, why should we let you through? We've come all the way from Jerusalem. We have brought our sick. We are waiting. You will wait. But Nathan doesn't wait well. He said, quick, let's take him around the side of the house. So they took me around the side of the house near the stairs to go up on the roof. There was some rope coiled near the stairs. He said, David, grab that rope. And he did. And then Nathan said, we will take him to the roof. We will cut out the roof. And we are dropping him down. We are going to get him to the rabbi. And I'm going, oh, no. And I couldn't talk. Up, up, up. And all I can see is the sky. But now I can hear a voice coming from the room. It's probably the rabbi talking. And I see David cutting the rope into four pieces. And then the others have laid me down and are literally with their knives cutting out the dried mud and reed roof tiles and pulling it up. Silence below. And I go, oh no, please, please, I can't talk. <laughs> down, down. They lower me down, 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 down into the room filled with people. I closed my eyes. With my head turned and silence in the room, I raised my head slowly and my eyes were looking directly at the rabbi. Simeon, he was no farther away from me than you are now. And he looked me in the eyes. And I, and I saw... I, I don't know what I saw. But I felt... I felt compassion in his eyes. And then, then he went for me and he looked up. And he saw Nathan and my companions. And he smiled. And he nodded to them. Then he came back to me. He reached over and he took the gag out of my mouth. I didn't say anything. And then he said these words. I will never forget these words. He said, son... Son, your sins are forgiven. And I thought, son? He is my age. I am his age. Why would he call me son? And then sins are forgiven. And I rose up and said, what sins? And then I knew. All those years of throwing everybody out of my life, of blaming the world, of denying God, wondering even if he existed. I looked back at him without saying a word and then his eyes shot up from me and they looked to the back of the room. In the house, amongst all of our villagers, there were some dressed in finery. They were the religious leaders. Not rabbis from any village. These, these are the scholars. They are from Jerusalem. And he looked up at them and he pointed. And he said, what are you thinking? Why do you harbor evil in your heart? Which is easier for me to say to this man, his sins are forgiven? 
or to say to him, rise up, take your bed, and go home. Then it's like his voice just changed. And now addressing everyone, his words were, it's so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say. And he looked at the religious elders, then at me. And then with tender eyes, he said, My son, it's time to get up. Time to go home. The room grew still. And almost as suddenly, my right arm started moving. It passed to the left. My fingers started moving uncontrollably. And, and then legs, my legs, I felt coursing strength moving through my legs. And I just looked up at him, sheer shock. And he just nodded and smiled. Get up. I rolled off the cot onto the floor. And my legs held. And I shot my arms up in the air. I looked at him. Then I reached down to get my cot. And I thought, this feels so good, I think I'll come back. And I went down, and I went up, and I went down, and I went up, and then I grabbed my mat, and I looked up in the air, and, and, and Nathan was crying, and David was dancing, and I started walking. The crowd made a path for me. First they were murmuring, and then there was some clapping, and then they started cheering, and then I get to the outside, and they made a path for me. They made a path for me. And I started walking through them. They were hitting me on the back. I go, yes, 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 yes. And, and then my friends caught up with me. I started running. They grabbed me. They held me. They lifted me. We danced. I danced. It was quite a day. <laughs> Later that night, after the celebrations were over, and I headed to my home, I sat on my bed, and I realized that not only had my body been returned to me, but the deep, dark shame, the anger, the pity, it was passing into the night. And I wiped my tears with my own hands. Yes, he's the Son of Man. I have no doubt about it. He may be more. We shall see. And I will pray that the whole world will see. When I was 16, 17 years old, all the heroes in our society were gone. Um, 
President Kennedy had been killed. His brother Bobby had been killed. Martin Luther King was killed. And the great ones were dead. And if they weren't dead, then the supposed great ones uh, betrayed us. Watergate. Yeah, I remember following Nixon was Johnson, and Johnson had one notable mistake when he became president and that he tripped in the middle of walking. And I thought that was so symbolic of our heroes. Everyone broken. I turned to literature and I turned to film to try to find heroes. King Arthur was one of my first heroes. I read everything I could get my hands on about him. I watched the old cowboy movies. John Wayne. He'd always get beat up in the beginning, but he'd come out like a hero in the end. And then, as I started looking into Jesus Christ, somebody said, consider him as hero. And I loved what Ed did for us in his little thing. Incidentally, you're really going to enjoy Ed. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. I'll be with him in Indianapolis on Thursday uh, for some meetings with the National Association of Evangelicals, but he's going to be great. And I loved what he said. We want to lift up the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. So I began to read the Gospels looking for a hero. And there's no better place than the Gospel of Mark. Because Mark is a young guy. He's into the action side of things. And when Jesus did this, and then he did this, and then he did that. And so we thought we'd take one of the stories and try to give it a different way of proclamation. Lift it out and try to live it a little bit. So you open your Bibles now and see how close I was to the real thing, would you? If you're looking uh, at our Bibles provided you on the seats, just turn to 991. We're looking for heroes. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Watch this. Jesus has come. Chapter 2, 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. He had come home. Now, that's the first thing you want to look at because we all thought Jesus lived where? In Nazareth. But this is Capernaum. And Capernaum, on the shores of Galilee, had become his home. Now, why? We're not sure. We know in the first chapter, it says that he was at the house of Andrew and Simon, and he went with James and John. It could be that Simon Peter's house became his house. It could be the house of James and John. And if James and John were indeed his cousins, with his mother Mary being a sister to James and John's mother, it could be that that became their home for this period of time. We're not sure. But he has come back, he's been in all the villages, and now it says there was no room, not even outside the door. Jesus had become incredibly famous in a short period of time. We know from the Gospel of Luke, the companion passage here in Luke chapter 5, we know that it says people were now in this section, had come from every village in, in, in Galilee, all around the lake, they had come from Judea, which is like the next county over, DuPage to Cook, and then from Chicago, from Jerusalem. As far as 70 miles away, crowds are now coming. 
As we saw at the end of chapter 1, he couldn't even come into a town anymore without being bombarded by people so they would sleep outside the villages. So this is the setting. This is the setting. This is what is going on. Great popularity. I want to show you a picture that an artist has drawn of an ancient Palestinian village. And the reason I chose it is because it's got the Sea of Galilee just to the, uh, uh, the, the north there. And Capernaum was right on the Sea of Galilee. It's also the place where Jesus will give the Sermon on the Mount. Notice the homes. Packed together, adobe, brick-made, or just mud-based, but the roofs were made incredibly strong from dried, fired mud that had been rolled. They would often dry their grains and such on the roof. And even today, if you go to Israel and uh, the Palestinian area, you will see people on their roofs every night because the winds come in off the Mediterranean and they just love to be outside. So that shows kind of what it was like. Now, Jesus is in this setting. He's in one of those homes, imagine, that of Simon Peter or James and John. And here's what happens. The end of verse 2. He preached the word to them. I'm just going to take a quick second on this. He preached the word to them. Look back with me in chapter 1, 38. Chapter 1, 38. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can what? Preach there also. And then this line, that is why I have come. Jesus had come to preach. Jesus had come to teach. Jesus had come to declare. Here's what I'm trying to say. The most important thing he felt he was doing was to tell who he was and what was happening. The kingdom was at hand. Now when you place that into the setting of someone who would feed, feed the hungry, when you place that in the setting of someone who would heal the disabled, uh, it, it's easy to start to think that's what he came for, but it never was. Those are secondary. In fact, once in the Gospel of John, he gets angry at the people who are only coming to him for food. Why? Because Jesus knew if they didn't hear who he was and if they didn't understand what he would do for them in the cross, then they might have full stomachs, but they would be forever separated from God. So I just want to say to us again, one of the things I love about this church, we really take declaration of God's Word very seriously. We believe it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. We believe that God decided through the foolishness of preaching to save human beings. It is the words from our mouths that are the true healers of human souls. Jesus prioritized that. Now, Verses 3 through 5. And I call this unknown heroes. They came bringing a paralyzed man carried by four of them. I gave them names. We don't know who they were. In fact, have you noticed something? We don't know who he was. There's no name. Something great about this. Something great about tenacious, extraordinary efforts to bring someone to Jesus by people that no one knows anything about. None of these guys got to stand up in front of Wheaton Bible Church and speak. They were what we call God's great, wonderful, regular folk. 
And they were devoted to this. They were tenacious. One commentator says, these guys were stretcher bearers. And nothing would stop them from bringing their friend to Jesus. Nothing. Not humility, not rejection. They were going to do it. And of course, that's how we're trying to be here in our church too. If you know and love Jesus Christ, you hear us say all the time, time to give it away. Time to give it away. Time to pick up a pallet and get somebody to Jesus. And just real quick, that's why we're so very excited about the next three weeks as we pursue my hope with Billy Graham. For those of you who may be visiting, our church is one of about 25,000 throughout America. And uh, we, we are all inviting neighbors and friends to come into our homes or into our workplaces and we're going to show a, a, a great 29-minute video which shows what happens when people are made new by Jesus. Billy Graham talks throughout it, but it's three great stories. Um, Pastor Jeff and Marie have gathered together over 150 people that have signed on the dotted line saying they're going to, they're going to carry pallets. They're going to be stretcher bearers. And you're going to start hearing from us three times a week starting tomorrow to the 150 to just cheer you on because we're doing it with you, right there with you. But I want to say this. Uh, though the week is November 3 through 9, you can do this anytime with your friends. And even if you haven't signed up, you can still get involved. In fact, I've got a, I just found out that you can go to YouTube. YouTube.com. Type in Defining Moments in the search line. And boom, it'll pop up. So you can share it with a relative, with a friend up at Starbucks. Let's be serious about this. These guys would do anything to help somebody find Jesus. <laughs> and they did. They tore the roof off for it. Cool guys. I want to hang out with them when we go to heaven. And just say, what led you to do that? Nathan will go, I don't know. And my name wasn't Nathan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. And then Jesus will say, chill out, Lon. We'll tell you the whole story. Okay. All right. Now, they're up there. They drop him down. And now Jesus becomes the center of all focus. They lower him down. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. Okay. He saw their faith. Stretcher bearers are faith-driven people. People that invite people to come and hear about God are faith-driven people. When he saw their faith, and that's why I think he really liked it. That's why I had Jesus look up and just smile at those guys. They're the heroes. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why call somebody your own age son? Well, because of who Jesus is. Jesus will say, before Abraham was ever born, I am. Jesus will say, uh, and John will speak of him and say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus existed for all time as part of the Godhead. In Colossians it says, He is the image of the invisible God, and He is the firstborn of all creation. And so He could well say, Son, to a man who in body years was His age. But beyond that, Sins forgiven. Sins forgiven. 
I, I, I think the paralytic probably said, why? I just, I just want to walk, man. I just, I just kind of want to walk. I want to be able to use my hands. Sins forgiven? But as I said earlier, there's nothing more important. The deepest of all disease is the disease of sin, which is this turning in on oneself so that self becomes the center of existence. The paralytic had done that. He turned in on self. His anger and then his shame. This disease called sin destroys those who bear it. It is contagious and it pollutes everyone around it. And it's so dastardly that it afflicts nations and systems. There is nothing more important than the forgiveness and the obliteration of sin. Nothing in our world. So Jesus says it to the man. Now, verses 6 through 8. Teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why, why does he talk like this? He's blaspheming. No one can forgive sins but God. Jesus knows that. It says Jesus knew in his spirit what they were saying and what they were thinking in their hearts. Jesus has the capacity to read minds. So I, I titled this little section, The Universe Bends and Turns a Corner. Something is changing in human existence because a man has said he forgives sins and incidentally, that will, they, will, they will be out to get him from that point on. Within one chapter and five verses, they will say, we must kill this one. He blasphemes God. And then they'll rip their tunics as a sign of that this man is cast out of the kingdom. Jesus knows that. He is engaging the powers. He will confront the powers. And he can read minds. He is amazing. This is a new world order. Confrontation, declaration. He forgives sins. Well, that's when he says to them, look, at, look in your text right there, verse 9, he says, well, wh what's easier? Wh which is easier? To say to this man that you, your sins are forgiven or to say to him... Um, you are made well, pick up your pallet and go home. What's easier? It's called a double entendre in communications. A double entendre Jesus is using here. And what that means is it's a word or a phrase that is open to two meanings. When he says to them, which is easier, they're all thinking, well, anybody can say your sins are forgiven. That's just a word tell this guy to get up and walk. You know, most of these religious scholars have not seen this yet. They've just gathered. They want to see the power. So you think that's it? So Jesus says, all right. And then with authority, he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, get up and walk. Now, they thought Healing was harder. And forgiving sins was easy. Jesus knew the truth. By a mere word, he could restore a body. 
But he'll have to give up his body to forgive sins. Jesus is looking ahead to the cross. For this man's sins to be truly forgiven will mean Jesus must die on the cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus knew what he meant when he said, which is easier. He knew what was coming. Powerful. And then he utters that phrase, the Son of Man. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. This is the first time that phrase is used. Jesus, this is the favorite designation that Jesus gives of himself. Eighty-two times he will use this in the four Gospels. Eighty-two times. So that you will know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I will say, get up and walk. Now, uh, all the reading I did in the last few weeks on this, commentators were divided. Because here's what's interesting. The Son of Man can mean two different things. In the Scriptures, it means two different things. It can mean regular folk. <laughs> regular folk. Like, look at Psalm 8.4. We'll put it up on the screen for you. What is mankind that you're mindful of him? Or the Son of Man that you even care about him? Why do you even care about us? We're, we're just people. You're God. You make the stars in the heaven. You control the universe. Why in the world would you care about puny humans? That's one meaning of Son of Man. Uh, Ezekiel uses it many, many times to describe himself. I'm just a Son of Man. Is Jesus just a Son of Man? Yeah. He is fully man. Now, he will be the prototype of the new human. He will be the prototype of what a human can be when God indwells them. But he's a man. At the same time, and the religious scholars knew this, son of man is a term of the most high God who has dominion over the whole universe. Look at this one. This is in Daniel chapter 7, 13, 14. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and he was led into his presence and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Son of man means fully man and it means dominion over all heaven and earth. And they knew it. We call this the incarnation. Fully God and fully man. He has arrived. The hero has come. The lowly man who is the new man, who is what humans can be, what you can be, when God takes over your life. And he is almighty God, Lord of all peoples, whose kingdom will never end. Wow. All that and more from one story. You see what I mean? You, you see why I was so drawn to this one, this Jesus? And we want you to be too. And as I close now, I want to 
give three challenges. And everyone here fits one of these. First, if you haven't come to him, come to him. He wants to forgive you of everything you've ever done wrong and everything you will do wrong. Come to him. We'll have some counselors right here in the front afterwards. You are so welcome to come. They want to pray for you. Second, those of you who have already come, meaning you've asked Jesus Christ to be the center of your life, are you living the new humanity you've been promised? With power over sin? With hope for eternity? I tried to display that not only was this man's body made well, but he had been transformed in his inner person. Again, perhaps you're bound up with some things. Come on down and we'll pray for you. This church is a great place to come and be unbound from whatever binds you. And finally, third. And those of you who know me know that at the end of the day, I will always be someone that's pointing people toward God. Our church, you know, has two congregations. It's those of us that are here. And it's a whole lot of folk who aren't here yet. Will you be a stretcher bearer? Go out and get them. Tenacious, extraordinary effort is required. Now, unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God who has dominion over all things, who became the Son of Man and with power the true hero. Let us go out and tell of his name and proclaim his fame. Amen? Amen. 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 Goodbye, everybody. Have a great week.